politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. So China's sitting there and they get a phone call. Phone call says, hey, listen, we think the president might be nuts. Might attack your country. Wait, wait, wait. China just turns around and goes, oh, it's cool. No big deal. That's that's fine. All right, thanks for the heads up. Yeah, you let us know if he does anything crazy, all right? Okay, we'll sit back here and wait. Of course not. We are so lucky we did not have World War III because of General Mark Willie. Call him Willie because he's woke and Millie, so I'm making it Willie. Why not? Hey, welcome to the Afternoon Podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, let me just, uh, right off the top of the podcast, address the growing pains that any new show has. So uh, the podcast is an endeavor that I'm very happy uh, to be doing. I really am, because I think it's a lot of fun. And first of all, everything breaks in the, in, in the afternoon. For example, breaking news, U.S. was warned back in November 2019 about COVID coming out of the lab in Wuhan, China. The NIH uh, is now reviewing removal of early COVID-19 data. God only knows how many lives could have been saved. So everything breaks in the afternoons. The Pentagon just had a big uh, briefing where Admiral Kirby tried to downplay anything that General Willie did. Again, Mark Milley, woke Willie, says so Willie. Yeah, he was just talking about how the 1619 Project, uh, how America is rooted in slavery, everything like this. He gave some big address on this, and I don't know, the guys the guys all woke. Uh, anyway, the point is that uh, with any new endeavor, there's always going to be some growing pains. I've switched the podcast over to a new hosting platform, which I think is going to solve a lot of the problems of it getting posted quickly to Apple Podcasts. For whatever reason, the platform that I was using originally uh, it was just taking forever for Apple Podcasts to post it. The, the new platform, which is also uh, what the station just started using too, is great. It just right away posts instantly. So I'm happy about that because that's going to solve what has been a major problem, which is everybody getting the podcast, you getting it around the same time every day. Now, look, obviously, if there's major news and the president's going to speak at 5 o'clock, I'm going to try to delay it as long as possible so that I can give all the breaking news. But my goal is always, obviously, to get it to you around 4.30 at the latest every day. And today I'm going to be filling in for Mark Levin after the show, so I want to try to bang this out. But I'm glad I was able to switch that over. Also, the issue of, I know there's been some some problems with the audio levels and clips going up and down. I think this new hosting solution will also solve that. So anyway, that's the housekeeping items, and thank you for your patience uh, as we go through this together. Hopefully this will be on for a very, very long time. And thank you for that. Thank you for your ratings and your views and sharing with a friend. I appreciate it very much. So General Mark Milley is a disgrace, and he should be fired, uh, tried. Uh, at the very least, he should be relieved of his command. No doubt about that. No, no doubt. This is a guy who has said in the past, for example, that China is not an enemy of the United States of America. China. I think everybody can agree China's our enemy. I'm not saying that that means we need to go to have World War III with China, but General Mark Milley suggesting that China is not an enemy. What, what are they, our buddy? I guess the Taliban's not our enemy either, right? Is that the other thinking? You can understand why the people in charge, the views that they have on the world, and you can understand exactly why there's such frustration from guys like me and people like you because it seems like no matter what, there's always an excuse with all these bureaucrats and these hacks. And Millie's a guy who's been there forever. He's a bureaucrat. 
I'm sure he goes to all the right parties in Georgetown and Bethesda and all the swanky parts of Maryland. Chevy Chase, not named after Chevy Chase, but named after Chevy Chase. A little tidbit for you there. Don't tweet me about that, by the way. Uh, so I'm sure that Millie, who's as woke as they come, really does believe China's not our enemy. This is why he reached out to the People's Liberation Army head and said, hey, I want you to know, president might be losing it. So if anything goes wrong, we'll call you. We'll call you right away. Give me a break. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. This is uh, what he said about China back then. Uh, take a listen here. I'm going to play this for you, and you can decide for yourself. As, as you alluded to in the previous question, uh, China's not an enemy. Uh, and I think that's important for people to clearly understand. Uh, China is a rising power. Uh, China has been a rising power t- since uh, Deng Xiaoping in 79. And they've been clicking off at 10% growth for you know, almost 30 years, and they dropped down to about 7% last year or two. And they'll probably drop again, you know, and come into the range of normalcy and 3 to 5% growth. But that's still significant economic growth. And there's been a really large historic change from a North Atlantic-based global economy to now it's proceeding to be a North Pacific-based global economy. So uh, with respect to China, um, what normally happens historically, it's not in all cases, but in most cases, where you have economic growth of that magnitude typically follows military power. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a, a significant increase in, in uh, Chinese military uh, capabilities over the last uh, 10 to 20 years. Uh, and uh, they are going to develop themselves and are developing themselves uh, into a great power. That is not to say, however, that they are an enemy. I don't know. There are besties. China's China and the Taliban together. There are besties. Best buddies. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's amazing to me that this guy is allowed to be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff today, that he's not been fired. It's amazing to me. And by the way, I want to make something very, very clear, because I get some uh, some some comments every now and then, some idiotic comments from people. There's a legal definition of the word treason. All right. Which is why you don't just throw the word around willy nilly because there's a legal definition of it i have no doubts that what Milley did was he 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 threatened the security of the united states of america he violated his office he should be fired he should be hauled in front of congress he should be court-martialed treason is an actual legal definition though i can't say necessarily whether it rises to the level of treason because there's a legal definition associated with it that doesn't mean that what he did was okay we just have to be we have to be clear when we use legal terms I think what he did was treasonous, no doubt about it. Would it would it qualify in court as treason? I, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a prosecutor. No idea. Was it treasonous? Damn right it was. Absolutely it was. No doubt. For 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 Millie to call up China to talk to his counterpart in the People's Liberation Army and go, listen, we might have a president who's out of control here. Just thank God China did not attack us first. Thank God China didn't think it was a setup from him and think that they needed to strike first. Thank God China didn't think to themselves, hey, uh, Trump's uh, crazy. This is a great time for us to strike a country that we've been looking to strike or for us to uh, to take over Taiwan completely or for us to uh, attack India or anything else. Any, any other of the myriad of scenarios that the lying Chinese Communist Party could have conjured up. 
we're lucky to be here today. I'm not even exaggerating that. Because, I mean, again, imagine if the scenario was Russia called us up to say, hey, listen, it's me. It's uh, it's 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 Boris. I'm calling from the uh, from the, the, the Russian army. Well, you know, Putin's lost it. Sitting there all day drinking vodka, eating borscht. Borscht, I don't know. And he's, t- he's talking about uh, the good old days back in the KGB. I think he's I think he's lost it. How do you think the United States of America would react? Would we think that this is a guy who's trying to help us, or would we think that the Russians are trying to set us up for something? And everybody, everybody in the military, the CIA, the intelligence community, would at once be dispatched to try to figure out what the hell's going on here. But what would not happen is we would not say, hey, Boris, thanks, pal. Keep us updated. So glad that we're we're buds. We, we're cool. We won't do anything until we hear back from you. Thanks. Click. <laughs> I mean... China didn't do, the, didn't do that either. China hung up the phone after Mark Milley called them up. And then at that moment, they put in place God only knows what to deal with what the United States might have been cooking up. And first of all, they were always afraid of Donald Trump. As most nations of the world were. And part of Donald Trump's strategy always was to make people believe that he was unpredictable. To make them think that, yeah, he might nuke you in an hour. That was always his strategy. He said it from day one. If you go back to 2015 when he was talking to Chris Wallace in an interview, it was around September of 2015, and Chris Wallace said, will you rule out nuclear using nuclear weapons? He said, no, why would I do that? Why would I rule out nu- using nuclear weapons? I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't want my enemies to think that I'm going to rule anything out. I want them to think I'm unpredictable. I want them to be afraid of me. So that's the other thing that Millie did here, which is so incredibly damaging, is that Millie took away the element of unpredictability, potentially. So on the one hand, he might have had a situation where he made China think the president's erratic and might be losing his command, and there might be some sort of a military coup, which might make China think that uh, now's the time to strike. Uh, China may have walked away thinking to themselves, well, uh, clearly uh, this guy is saying something here. They're they're setting us up for something. So maybe uh, the United States is about to attack or something like that. Or the third scenario is the United, they believe him, which is not okay. They believe him, in which case then we lose any element of surprise. We lose any element of the president of the United States being unpredictable of them being afraid of him because now they got this woke general who will call them up and give him a give him a tip give him a hat tip give him a little uh little tip millie's a disgrace and i like what senator Rand paul said today he says he should immediately be hauled in front of uh of congress he needs to he needs to get a a lie detector ask him under oath he needs to be fired and court-martialed absolutely he does whether or not it meets the legal criteria of treason or not, what Milley did was he undermined the civilian control of the military. And you can't do that because we're supposed to have civilian control of the military. How did the White House respond today? As you can imagine, the White House did what they always do. They lied, they obfuscated, and of course, they stuck by their same old bureaucratic hacks. Jen Snarks today, the following, take a listen. 
I'm not going to add more or speak to anonymous, unconfirmed reports about conversations with limited context from here. Uh, but what I can assure you all of is that the president knows General Milley. He has been chairman of the Joint Chiefs for almost eight months of his presidency. They've worked side by side through a range of international events. Uh, and the president has complete confidence in his leadership, his patriotism, and his fidelity to our Constitution. Greatest confidence in Millie. Now, that might be one of those things you say before somebody gets whacked. Uh, or it might be because they, they genuinely do. See, the left loves the idea that Millie was calling China and letting China know exactly what he was believing. Because the left believes exactly what Millie believes. Because Millie's a lefty. He's a woke lefty. And so the left believes that this guy's a hero. How can I prove that to you? Well, Joy Reid. MSNBC's Joy Reid. Praising praising Millie for being so heroic and uh, what a guy he is what a guy to to usurp civilian command of the military what a guy to call up the Chinese Communist Party the People's Liberation Army and let them know what a guy uh, and it is a sort of a dramatic telling of some of the final days of the Trump administration uh, with chairman of Joint Chiefs staff Milley uh, talking to his Chinese counterpart not once but twice once a few days before the election and then twice the second time a little bit after the insurrection trying to tell the Chinese that look you know we've established a report here you and I his counterpart saying nothing's going to happen we're not going to go to war and if something were to suddenly occur on our end I would be sure personally to give you a heads up so we can judge or deal with this together that deal with it together as a final point, uh, is also being met with swift criticism from other Republicans today here in Washington, Senator Cruz and others suggesting that's almost traitorous behavior uh, from Milley to talk to the Chinese like that. And in fact, Senator Rubio called for Joe Biden to fire him. Yeah, OK. Uh, good luck with that, because he seems to be the greatest patriot uh, that was <laughs> on go. duty during right. the previous administration. Um, Rosa, let me go to you on this. This is another excerpt. This is General Milley again, who I, I have to say is emerging as a pretty important and heroic American figure in this era. See how the left thinks that if you undermine civilian control of the military, if, if <coughs> excuse me, if you give our enemies a heads up, if you let our enemies think that our commander in chief might be crazy, that that's that's patriotism. That's heroic. Anything that undermines Trump. These people hate Trump so much. Think about this now. Their hatred of Donald Trump is so severe that they're happy to have the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army think Trump is crazy rather than root for the president over the Chinese Communist Party. They they have much more of shared beliefs with the Chinese Communist Party. Joy Reid definitely has much more in common with them than she does with the American president, Donald Trump. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. But, of course, for them to say that on the left really exposes everything. The fact that they'll root for China over our own president... The fact that they'll be happy with one of our, our one of the greatest think about it abusers of human rights in the world, China, a, a country that lied to us about the origins of this vaccine, the virus, a country that that is responsible for millions of people dying because they were not honest with the world early enough about COVID nineteen. Let this virus escape from their lab. They'll root for China over our own president. And if and if there was a reason for us to battle with China, they'll be more than happy about the fact that China would get tipped off and could potentially do something to protect itself. They'll root for that. These people are absolutely pathetic. Millie reportedly told his counterpart, this may look unsteady, but that's the nature of democracy. And this is him talking with General 
with Chinese General Li. General Li, um, he says, we are 100 percent steady. Everything's fine, but democracy can be sloppy sometimes. That might be the understatement of the year. Uh, Milley had a low moment in his term walking behind Donald Trump when he went to hold a Bible to pretend that he'd ever held a Bible before. And he, he walked along with that. Um, and apparently that reportedly influenced General Milley's belief that Trump would engage in a wag the dog scenario provoking a conflict. That was not a great moment for him, but it apparently was an instructive one. Yeah, not a great moment for him. Also, this wag the dog notion, uh, China's not some little tiny third world banana republic. It's China. If you look at the movie Wag the Dog, what the what what the the idea of that is is that we 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 faked a war with some little podunk country as a distraction because we knew the country couldn't actually do anything about it. If you look at the Woody Allen movie Bananas, which is a classic movie, we 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 pretend to invade or or, or, or the country pretends to invade us and then surrenders so that we'd have to pay them back. And it, but China is our adversary they are our main adversary now they are right now what the soviet union was to us in the 1960s 70s and 80s china steals our technology china steals our our intellectual property china has unleashed this virus on the world which i still believe is a biological weapon that came out of a lab in as early as september of 2019 lied to the world about it. China continues to encroach upon the sovereign waters of the South Chinese Sea. China continues to put fear and intimidate Taiwan. China continues to abuse the Uyghurs, the Muslim minority Uyghurs. They continue to engage in some of the world's worst human rights. Can you explain to me why these whack jobs on the left are actually thinking that it's okay for a, for, for a general to call up China and say, if something goes wrong, you'll know about it from me? What if there was a legitimate reason that we had to attack? What if China took that phone call and decided that they were going to do something and then the United States of America had to react to that? What do we do now in that situation? What happens then? So Millie calls up China and then China hangs up the phone and says, you know what? Invade India. Do whatever. Whatever it is. And then the United States of America reacts to that. But it was Millie that basically caused it to happen. And now the United States is going to react. Does Milley call them up and, and give them a heads up? I guess. China knows it's coming. China anticipates it. Because China probably believed that that's exactly what was going to happen. So we lose every element of surprise here. And people like Joy Reid and these other idiots on MSNBC, they're okay with that. I think if it came down to it, they'd be happy if China won. I really do. I really believe that. I'm not just saying that for hyperbole. I really believe they would be fine if China won. They would root for it. Because in their minds, China is a much more fair and equitable society. America is still the worst country in the world in their minds. Not us. Not us. <laughs> it's just, or not them, I should say. I don't know. It's very hard to put my mind in, in, in the mindset of these, of these people, isn't it? It really is. It's very difficult for me to do. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Uh, what did uh, Biden's Pentagon hack Admiral John Kirby say today about uh, Mark Milley? And uh, any of the reports he's seen today, would any of this cause concern for um, Milley? Again, I can't speak to the validity, but I see nothing in what I've read that would, uh, that would cause any concern. 
I've seen nothing in what I've read that would cause any concern. <laughs> really? Okay. Today, Ned Price, the Biden spokesman over at uh, the State Department, refused to say for three solid minutes if the administration ever raised with the Taliban the possibility of renegotiating the August 31st troop withdrawal deadline. And the other foreign policy debacle that's happening today is uh, Afghanistan continues to be something that the Taliban is now in charge. We still have maybe a thousand people behind American uh, enemy lines, Americans. And we still can't get a straight answer from the State Department about how many people were there. We now know the reason why the Taliban did not let everybody leave who are Americans, because they're holding them out for money, for humanitarian aid. Aid that the United States of America had promised Afghanistan, about $64 million. But we don't want to give it to the Taliban. But if the Taliban has our people, well, that's a different story. We'll find a way to creatively get it to them through various aid groups. We'll do that. But, man, you know, if the Taliban loses all their bargaining ships and all the Americans are home, well, then what can they turn around and demand? Nothing. So that's why we know now the Taliban did not help everybody get out of the country. We know that now. And then there's Ned Price, like a fish, flopping today. Raise the idea with the Taliban, because the impression that we're getting from the White House, from you, from the Secretary, from General, uh, from Secretary Hall, is that you didn't even raise the issue with the Taliban about possible renegotiation, even for a, a minor uh, amount of time, because the president had basically decided already that he was going to keep to the withdrawal on that timeline, and the president, no matter and, what. And the president came to that decision, but, so no, it, knowing what the consequences would be. Well, of, how did he know of, what the consequences would, would have been if... Zal or someone else didn't actually raise it with the Taliban and say, hey, what do you think about if we renegotiate? Did Matt, that actually happen? We've had, and did, did and, that, and, and that the, ever happen? The, secre- the, the secretary referred to this yesterday in his testimony that Barbara just read. Did, did uh, it ever happen that you brought up with the, te- you keep saying, well, we are un- we're under the distinct impression that, or our understanding was that, well, did you directly raise it with the, the Taliban? The Taliban made it very clear to in us. In response to what? The ta- in, in the context of, of diplomacy and discussions, to, the to Taliban made it very clear to us that if the United States would seek uh, to renege on the agreement, uh, that uh, they would not continue to, to abide by the commitments that they had made. don't even try so you never did, right? Is that Right. Uh, it was made very clear to us that there was no ability to renegotiate an agreement that Why the not? last administration signed on to that stipulated quite clearly that if American troops remained on the ground, that they would once again become the subject uh, of attacks and so aggression. Never- Think about that for a moment. We could never renegotiate with the Taliban, except we did renegotiate with the Taliban because we changed the deadline from May to August 31st. Actually, we changed it to September 11th, then back to August 31st. But what these idiots want us to believe, excuse me, these uh, esteemed bureaucrats, is that uh, we were so afraid of the Taliban. The American military, the world's strongest military in the world, was so afraid of the Taliban that we could not change this deadline. Because, woo, the Taliban might do things to hurt us. We were so afraid of the evil, mean Taliban. The same Taliban that's now in charge of the country. That now has been facilitating Americans getting home. That same Taliban. Make any sense to you? Let's let's play the logic game here. So 
the Taliban is so much tougher than us that we can't even change the deadline, can't even discuss it with them, even though we did change the deadline, but we can't extend it anymore because then the Taliban would be really mad. Then they might start attacking us. And like a bully on the schoolyard, we don't know if we'll be able to hold back. We might just have to run. Oh, and by the way, that same group now, they're helping all the Americans get home, and we trust them completely. <laughs> These guys, they talk out of both sides of their mouth, do they not? With that, the possibility of, a, of, of renegotiation. Matt, I'm telling you, they, I'm telling you, they made because it. I'm telling I know you. that they made it clear, but did they make it clear in response to you bringing it up, or did they just say, don't even think about it, I'm, and then you guys said, okay, we won't? I'm, I'm not going to detail uh, the diplomacy. Right. What I will tell you is that uh, we were very confident that if our troops remained on the ground uh, past that deadline, uh, that they would be subject to uh, the sort of targeted violence that this president uh, and others in this administration were not willing to risk or even countenance. So why not so try to ask it? Was it not worth asking? To renegotiate it? Christina, I'm I'm not speaking to the ins and outs of the diplomacy. This is not I, ins and outs. This is like a basic question we're trying to get the answer to. Either they so, didn't do it, as Matt just said, either they didn't do it in reaction to you asking or or you didn't ask because you didn't think it was an issue. Can you just tell us which one of those it is? The the secretary spoke to this yesterday. Uh, we were... We were had it's every dodgy. reason to believe, and if you look at the Taliban's own public statements, you would have every reason to believe that American troops would have been uh, the target of violence once again uh, if we did not adhere uh, to that deadline that the previous administration signed us up to. This guy is making America sound so weak on the world stage, and it infuriates me as an American to think that the world is hearing this and thinking that our military is that afraid. We're that afraid of a bunch of 7th century savages with camels and goats that we're that afraid of them. We're the American military. We tell them, hey, listen, the deadlines change. If you don't like it, we got a whole lot more sophisticated weapons than you do. You're the ones who will be hurt. You're the ones who will be hurt if you don't agree to the deadline. Not us. Attacks on our troops are going to continue. The absolute level of weakness the Biden administration is willing and is proud to display before the world, whether it comes to China, the Taliban, or anything else. It's part of the Barack Obama atonement campaign of we're bad and we still have to kneel down, and this time around it's gonna, we're, we're going to show the world how weak we are in every single front. We're not going to bully anybody. We're not going to pretend like we're tough guys. I don't know, maybe that will be toxic masculinity or toxic... Uh, nationlinity or some new phrase the woke left hasn't dreamt up yet, but soon will. He keeps going, by the way. Here's to say the administration didn't try to Sorry. negotiate it. Yeah, three minutes of, 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 of obfuscating, three minutes of that would not, would not say. At the same time, he says, the U.S. is negotiating with the Taliban for safe passage of Americans. So the same group that we were so worried about hurting our troops... We're, we're now fine with getting our American people out of Afghanistan. Although the State Department today, earlier today, put out a cable that said, for anybody who's still in Afghanistan, you need to get to another country to get out. Go to another country's American embassy to get out of Afghanistan. Don't try to get out using the American embassy in Afghanistan because it's closed. And don't go to the Taliban anymore. Now what you need to do is go to another country's embassy. Do that. Wow. Wow. All right.
more weakness upon the world. You know, this this notion, too, of China, I should mention this to you as well. So China's most famous defector, th- this comes out, uh, this came out today. China's most famous defector to America warned U.S. intelligence agencies of coronavirus back in 2019. Six weeks before China admitted there was an outbreak. Wei Jingjiang, the father of Chinese democracy movement, reveals in a new book, What Really Happened in Wuhan?, that he first heard of a mysterious new virus at the time of the World Military Games in Wuhan in October 2019, which makes sense from everything we've talked about. And I've told you this before, that if you, I'm not a fan of, I don't believe in coincidences. I do not. I refuse to believe in coincidences. I always go back to the the Vito Corleone theory of coincidences, which is that they don't happen. So that means that if something, if lightning should strike one of my boys, I'm going to blame some of the people in this room. So the military world games happens end of September, early October, 2019. The American military is there. And it just so happens that COVID-19 or whatever it was back then gets out of the lab. Oh yeah. Big coincidence. Now, you know what I think it was? I think they were purposely trying to infect our military with a biological weapon. I can't prove it, but I have a strong suspicion of that. So we Jiang writes in the book that, um, And remember, he defected to the United States in 1997. He said he was asked if he had any sense that the uh, intelligence agencies were taking seriously his intelligence about a new virus in Wuhan. He said, I felt they were not as heavily concerned as I was, so I tried my best to provide more detailed information. They may not believe there is a government of a country that would do something like that, cover up a virus, so I kept repeating myself in an effort to try to persuade them. We said he was very worried because whichever way the communist regime released the virus, I felt the West was not prepared. It was not until December 31st that China involuntarily alerted the World Health Organization there was an outbreak in Wuhan. Beijing denied it was contagious. Remember that they denied it spread people to person-to-person transmission until January 20th, 2020, when it admitted there was evidence of that. We spent 18 years, from the New York Post, we spent 18 years in Chinese prisons for objecting to the communist regime. Highly respected on both sides and has forged relationships with people on both sides of the aisle, Democrats, Republicans. He found out about the virus from his high-level contacts in Beijing. Said, I talked to some uh, some uh, American politicians in the House, tried to warn them of the danger of the situation. There were officials from the White House at the time as well in November of 2019. He would not reveal which politician he told. He said, I'm not sure if this politician wants me to talk about him right here, but I want to say there is a high enough politician, high enough to be able to reach to the president of the United States. Now, David Asher, who I've talked to many times, he's a brilliant guy, State Department official, who's former now, uh, spearheaded a task force into the origins of COVID-19. He said the opportunity presented by Wee's warning was like stopping 9-11 before it happened. Had the U.S. government had other crucial pieces of early warning evidence in late 2019, had we been able to connect the dots, had China been honest with us, had the first intelligence of the Wuhan Institute of Virology workers getting sick with COVID-like symptoms in late 2019, a year before he discovered it during his investigation to the origins of the virus for the State Department, He said by then, already by the time they discovered it, 1.7 million people worldwide had died from COVID-19. Asher said he was shocked when he found out we actually could have had the foreknowledge of the coronavirus. 
They said we could have known. We could have known in November of 2019 that there was a disaster occurring inside Wuhan, inside their most important biological facilities related to coronavirus research. It was something absolutely tragic, traumatic, and dramatic that was occurring, and we could have reacted to it. The whole world could have been different. It would have been like stopping 9-11 before it happened. You think about, too, all of the, um, the bureaucrats in this country, Fauci and the others, who came out and, and poo-pooed any notion. The same Joy Reid, that idiot who I played earlier, remember she called it debunked bunkum? Again, defending China. All these people just wanted to defend China. All these woke corporations in America that will stop at nothing when it comes to calling out anything that offends anybody. But when it comes to China, not a word. Not a word. And the social media companies that covered for China by banning speech, by telling you and me that we were not allowed to talk about the Wuhan lab theory because it might be contributing to anti-Asian hate. How many Asians have died of coronavirus? How many Asians have had to say goodbye to their family members because of coronavirus? How many Asians have had, uh, whether Asian Americans or Asians, just in general, because Asia is a pretty big place, have had to uh, deal with loss of their jobs, incomes, the frustrations of quarantines and everything else. So let me ask you this question. And obviously, I don't mean you because you're a smart person, but let me just ask these people this question. What do you think contributes more to Asian hate? The idea that we pursue the actual origins of the virus that has killed people around the world, Asian and otherwise, or we don't talk about it because maybe some nut job homeless person might attack an Asian American on the streets for no reason whatsoever related to the Wuhan lab, but it's very convenient for the corporate media that does China's bidding to spin it that way as an effort to get you to stop talking about the Wuhan lab. Chinese authorities were acting to suppress news of the Wuhan outbreak, purging the Internet of social media posts and news stories and disappearing dissidents and whistleblowers who attempted to sound a warning. Social media reports about a new coronavirus did not emerge until late December 2019, and it was not until the end of January 2020 that the U.S., Australia, and New Zealand closed borders to travelers from China. In the book, What Really Happened in Wuhan, we told... uh, Lou reveals what we told her about the virus in November 22nd, 2019. You've heard about we. She's a tremendous uh, hero. I couldn't quite believe what he was saying. Lou said at the time, I thought the coronavirus could not be worse than SARS. And SARS, as we knew from experience, was not that contagious and it could be contained. I thought at the time that this was the case. Okay, there was an outbreak, but the authorities and the advance of medical sciences, will they be able to contain the spread of it? The race to get information about the new virus to the White House and uh, the uncertainty about it. After Wee's visit, she wrote a memo of what had been divulged to her. She said she intended to pass it on to President Donald Trump's national security advisor, but I didn't send it to him because so many things were incredulous. I wrote it, but I didn't send it because I decided it was better that Wee talks directly to them. In the book... He wrote, in the past several decades, the Chinese Communist Party's capacity to seal information is hard to be understood by Westerners. Is it that it's hard to understand, or is it just that our our country covers up for China all the time? I mean, you have people in the media today cheering on the fact that General Mark Milley would have given China a heads up before the United States of America would have done something to them. Putting us in an absolutely horrific position 
And thank God we didn't start, World War III did not start. Thank God China did not strike us first, thinking that our president was incapacitated, too weak to act. Could have gone the other way, as I mentioned. China could have thought he was crazy and decided to take an initial first strike, thinking that they had to do that on behalf of the Chinese people. They had to hit first before the crazy American president could hit them. What what are the what are the cackling hens on the view think though for example about this what what are the cackling hens on the view think for that let's tune in to the same people that didn't like that Norm Macdonald was making jokes about the Clintons being uh, murderers <laughs> as they tried to silence him back then in the original days of the View the View is much more sophisticated now uh, they don't have Barbara Walters anymore just different a different cast of cacklers so what did they say today. Here, take a little bit of a listen here as they cheer on Mark Milley for being a sellout to the United States of America. Well, oh, why is it not playing? Come on, play. Would you play, please? Here we go. I know, you know, I was praying. Mm-hmm. Let there be somebody in the room who holds his arm back when he hits that, but goes to that button. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I blame all the people around him in his cabinet who did not invoke the 25th Amendment. Obviously, he was not. For what reason? We've seen it for four years. We saw the crazy behavior. Mm-hmm. And God bless General Milley for straightening things out. Mm-hmm. I know that the chain of command is sacrosanct. I understand that. Do you? But this was an emergency. This guy, we had a, a certifiable... We have a certifiable president who didn't attack anybody. Think about it. What did Trump do? In in hindsight now, what, what did the certifiable president do to anybody? Did he attack China? Did he stay in the White House? Did he order up... Did he declare martial law? Did he, did he attack anybody? No. So what did Milley actually prevent... Nothing. But what what Millie could have done, as I've mentioned, was he could have provoked China into thinking that we were telling them that for a reason or China thinking they had to strike first in self-defense. Thank God that didn't happen. Millie could have put us at the precipice of World War Three. Millie could have put us at the edge of DEFCON 1. Millie could have started World War Three. And these 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 the cackling hens think that he's a hero. He's a hero. I honestly can't play more because I'm getting a headache from listening to her and I've got to do Mark Levin show soon, soon, so I don't want to do that. Oh, you know, John Stewart, comedian John Stewart, do you remember what his comments were about the Wuhan lab, speaking of the Wuhan lab theory? And uh, he made this uh, <laughs> very funny joke about how, you know, the name is literally on the lab. It's the Wuhan Institute for studying coronaviruses and bats. And then he said this whole thing about, but maybe a, a pangolin kissed a turtle and that's how we got coronavirus. He said in a newly published interview with The Hollywood Reporter that he was surprised at the amount of pushback he got when fans sounded off on him. That's what's amazing to me. He said at the time on, uh, uh, to uh, Stephen Colbert, he said, the disease is the same name as the lab, he said. Literally, it's the same name as the lab. But then there was a, a, an article about his new show that's coming out. It's called The Problem with Jon Stewart. And he talked about some of the comments he said. He said, you know, it's it's democratized connection and also democratized destruction. Talking about like Twitter, for example. He said, not to quote MC Hammer, but you can't take the measure without considering the measurer. It's kind of the point I was making on Colbert that everybody got mad about, which was these are just tools. We're the ones that F them up. And they said, so you're referring to the your June appearance in The Late Show, right? When you went all in on the theory that the coronavirus originated from a lab in China. I couldn't tell if Colbert was entertained by your bit or maybe a little nervous, observed reporter Lacey Rose. 
Stewart said, I don't think he was nervous. It's not like he doesn't know what I'm going to say. Listen, how it got to be that if it was a scientific accident, it's conservative. And if it came from a wet market, it's liberal. I don't know. I'm just not sure how that got politicized. But it was an inelegant way to get to a bit that I've done for years, which is our good intention brilliance will more than likely be our demise. The bit is about the last words that man ever utters, which are, hey, it worked. I guess I was a little surprised at the pushback. You remember Stuart made the joke about if there's a chocolate outbreak in Hershey, Pennsylvania. You remember that? If there's delicious chocolatey goodness breaks out in Hershey, Pennsylvania, it's not going to be because, uh, I, I, I forget, a, a, a pitchfork hit a wheelbarrow or something, whatever the joke was. But Stuart's point was, can we stop tinkering with nature? And, you know, I'll tell you the reason why there was such pushback to what he said is because from day one, Fauci and these others have been lying to us that it was gain-of-function research. See, what Stuart's missing here, what he doesn't really understand, is that it's not that it's liberal versus conservative. It's that liberals are defending Fauci because they've exalted him. They put him on a mountain. He's a santo Fauci. Brad Pitt played him on Saturday Night Live, thanked him. He's, he's, he's sacred. So when Fauci said it didn't come from a lab, the left just instinctively went, well, then it didn't come from a lab. Now we know the reasons why Fauci was saying that early on is because it links back to the National Institutes for Infectious Diseases, the grant money that was sent over there for gain-of-function research. And literally, the grant was entitled This Study and Manipulation of Coronaviruses in Bats to Look at How We Can Make the Diseases Even Worse or something. So so Fauci's money paid for this, not his personal money. And that's the reason why he covered this up. But instead of the left turning around and going, oh, man, this guy let us down. He's a Santo Fauci. They got a cover for him. So they still cannot even acknowledge that this might have come from a lab. They cannot. They will not. They cannot. And this is the problem with the day and age in which we live right now, is that even when new evidence comes to light of something, there's a certain segment of the population refuses to change their thinking on this. It's like, why do we have to wear masks outside? Why does anybody wear a mask outside at this point? There still has not been one confirmed case of COVID-19 from outside transmission. Not one. Not one. There have been people that have suggested they got it outside, and then you do a little digging and you find out, well, okay, so maybe it was actually because, you know, they happened to be inside at a bar drinking for hours after they were outside together, but, or maybe it's because they went up to a hotel room together after they were outside together. Like, there's always an indoor component to the outdoor transmission. But, uh, but still, you have people walking around riding bikes by themselves outside wearing masks. It's because when, when people come up with an idea, and then they embrace that as their personal sense of identity. They refuse to, to allow, to even entertain new evidence. It's one of the things that's hurting our country to such a great degree right now. Today on the morning show, I had David Zweig on. David Zweig, who wrote for The Atlantic, a piece about how when you look at hospitalization numbers, hospitals are not overwhelmed by COVID cases. There are people that are in the hospital who have COVID, and there are people who are in the hospital because of COVID. And they're two different groups, and we're lumping them all together. But, but, but we don't allow the new information to come to light. When the CDC director, Rochelle Winsley, comes out and says, hey, listen, kids are not getting COVID more severely than the Delta strain, than the Alpha strain. It doesn't, we, don't, we don't take those facts and then adjust them. No, because we have made things like kids being in masks part of our identity, and so the left doubles down on them. And then also bureaucrats and tyrants use it 
to justify lockdowns, mask mandates, and their infinite powers. If you allow new evidence to come to light, for example, that as early as September or October of 2019, people were saying that there was a virus in Wuhan, China. Then you have to acknowledge the virus came from a lab in Wuhan, China, and you've just spent a year battling with people on Facebook telling them it came from an undercooked bat burger with a side of pangolin fries and delicious, delicious pangolin dip. I like the pangolin aioli. But I'll tell you what happens if you don't properly cook it. It's like cookie dough. I love cookie dough ice cream. But, you know, if you just eat raw cookie dough, they say you get salmonella. If you just eat raw pangolin, well, you don't get coronavirus because that came from a lab. All right, thanks for uh, listening to the show today. I hope you uh, enjoyed the podcast. Again, thanks for bearing with it as we get through all the growing pains. And I appreciate all the nice reviews, all the nice ratings. I keep hitting the wrong button here. You know I'm going to get this right one day. Here we go. One day. See, growing pains, what I mean. Listen, if you're around at 6 o'clock, I'll be in for the great one, Mark Levin. If not, you can catch that show on podcast, too. Either way, have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for rating the show. Thanks for saying nice things about it. Thanks for telling a friend about it. Thanks for standing up to the BS. There's a lot of it out there, isn't there? Just doing my part to help you get some information to push back on this nonsense. Have a great day. 